0: Revelation, we've been speaking just a few times, we're talking about a challenging uh, our church family, and I want to encourage you to be challenged in the spiritual ways as we look at these churches. Now, of course, the book of the Revelation is 22 chapters of our Bible, the last revelation of Jesus Christ before um, He closes the book of the Bible, the last amen. One of the things that are different between Baptist doctrine and many other doctrines of other churches is that we believe that God has done talking that uh, he's already finished talking. He said, everything he needs to know, we need to know in the scriptures. And in the last amen, he's done. And the, But the last person to hear from Jesus in the, end of the Holy Spirit to write the word of God was John the Beloved. This was about 90, uh, 90 95 A.D. The Apostle Paul probably died somewhere between A.D. 61 and, and 65. So Paul has been dead now for nearly 30 years. And John is still alive. He's the only uh, man of the apostles that did not die as a martyr. And uh, he, uh, he, he was tortured. He was boiled in oil and exiled on the Isle of Patma. But God used him in a wonderful way. He was the youngest of the disciples, we believe, maybe even a teenager when he was chosen to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He would write uh, five books of the Bible, the book of John, uh, the Gospel of John, First John, Second John, Third John, and the book of the Revelation. And here, the Holy Spirit gives him. He tells him why he wanted to write it. He was, I want you to write the things that you have seen, the things that are, and the things that shall be hereafter. We see that in chapter 1. So I think that's the three major divisions of, uh, of the, the book of, of Revelation. Chapter 1 speaks of the person of Jesus Christ. And of course, he would say in John, which our hands have handled of the word of life. So he he spoke about Jesus. Chapter 1 is about Jesus. That's where it says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. We find in chapter 1 that he talks about the power of Jesus and the program of Jesus for the ages to come and the person of Jesus. That's kind of basically chapter 1. It's the person of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the program of Jesus all the way through the book of the Revelation. But chapter 1 is specifically about Christ. Chapter 2 about the things that are, and those have to do with the seven churches. There are several ways that you can look at the churches. I prefer to look at them and to take the word of God literally and, and not figuratively. One other challenge in the book of the Revelation, if you look in through the, um, the tribulation period of chapter 4, verse number 2, through uh, chapter 19, it's not always laid out chronologically, which is a little bit more challenging to some of the students of the Scriptures in that way. But you will find chapters 2 and 3 are the things that are. He's going to mention seven churches, unique churches that are literal churches, in the Asia Minor at the time of John. John probably either pastored or directly influenced these seven churches. Of course, the church at Ephesus was started by the Apostle Paul, and now the church at Ephesus is now probably 40 years old. Thank God it still has the strong... Um, heart for the Lord. And I I love tenure. Aren't you glad when people do the right thing, the right way for the right reason for a long time? I love to see churches like that. I love to see new churches, but I'm especially glad to see churches that are on the right path after many years of existence. I love this church and the First Baptist Church of Hammond. The first church that was, the First Baptist Church started here. Uh, The first mayor of our town, Mayor Toll, gave the property across the street over here at the Walker Building, to a little bit to the left of that, um, for the church to put the first building up here. 100, almost 136 years. It'll come up November the 28th. 136 years of existence, trying to do the right thing, the right way, for the right reason, and we praise God for that. And it's our it's our watch to keep it right and keep it soul winning. And people lose the truth when they stop telling the truth. People lose the gospel when they stop giving out the gospel. Uh, people will die by attrition. I heard a young man say recently something like, if we don't reach more people, we're going to die. Duh. <laughs> that's just true. So many churches just glad to have whoever's there and just trying to, to hold their hands together and keep hold on till Jesus comes back. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is for the church to reach other souls with the gospel and disciple the ones you reach. And everybody needs to have a role in that. Through prayer and through your presence and your participation in the work of the Lord. But these seven churches, each of them, I believe, uh, some people believe it are chronologically. The Ephesus is the early church, and then Smyrna is the second season of time. They look at it dispensationally, and I don't think I would argue with that. They make a good case that that may be the case. But I think it's more edifying and practical when you see it as individual churches that represent churches of today and tendencies that they have. I think I find that to be, and this is my own personal opinion, there are other people who know the Bible much better than I, but as I look at it, I feel like God's Holy Spirit would want us to look at that and see if these are the things that are, not the things that were, but the things that are. Uh, They show us these seven churches, their strengths and their weaknesses, seven churches Two of them do not see receive a scathing uh, rebuke. Five of them do. Smyrna and Philadelphia. Philadelphia mildly receives a little bit of admonition, but the church at Smyrna, the one we'll look at tonight, doesn't receive an, uh, uh, a, uh, a rebuke. And boy, I want to just say to you, all of us ought to be willing and able to take a rebuke. It's challenging to be rebuked. You know why? Because it points out my failure and my need for change. But the Bible says, reprove not a scorner. What does a scorner do if you reprove him? He hates you. Yeah, he turns it on you. Well, that's my tendency sometimes, my foolishness. If someone points out a problem I got a need to change, I rebuff at that. Really, I need to be humble enough to receive it. And the Lord Jesus, and by the way, he's the one who is speaking. This is not John giving his opinion. This is Jesus, the inspector of the churches. By the way, as the head, does he ever write to inspect our church? Evaluate my heart, your heart, our condition? He sure does. And he has no reservations about walking about and saying, here's what I see. Here's what I see I like. Here's what I see that I don't like. And then chapter 4, after chapter 3, in the admonition to the church of Laodicea is chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse number 1, we find that uh, he was caught up into the heaven. We believe that's a, 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 as a symbol of the rapture. And then from chapter 4, verse 2, until the rest of the book, you don't see the church mentioned because the church is no longer there. It's been raptured out, taken away, and it begins to describe the tribulation period till chapter 19, and then chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22 are things that will come in eternity future after that. And so this, this is kind of what it is. It's the things that were... The things that are and the things that shall be. We're just talking a little bit in this particular series on those seven churches. Let's look, if we can, please, at chapter 2. The first church we looked at was in verse number 1, which is the church at Ephesus. And it was it was the Lord Jesus speaking. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience. Verse number 2, he said, nevertheless, verse 4, I have something against thee because thou hast left thy first, what? Love. And he tells them there's three things you need to do. Remember, repent, and return. If you find yourself a little bit cold in your love for the Lord and you're doing the work but you don't have love in the shine, he said, remember. I think every one of us ought to remember with regularity the day that God saved you. How many can remember it right this very moment? You know when that was and where it was and where you were. Boy, don't get very far from that. Remember where you came. Repent for your coldness, and for your lack of love for the Lord, and then return back to doing the first works. Heard about a guy who read a, read a book. He said, you need to treat your, your wife like you did on the first date. And the guy went out and said, I took her to dinner and dropped her off at her parents' house. <laughs> That's probably not what you probably ought to do there. But, but you remember the fuzzy wuzzies that you had when you first met your, your, your wife, your girlfriend? You couldn't stop looking in her eyes couldn't stop, you couldn't wait to see him again, all those those, those things. He said, he said, get back to that. Get back to when you remember the feelings you had when you got saved and the load of sin was, was lifted, when God took your sin and gave you his son and you felt forgiven. Remember how you felt when you walked out of the baptistry, when you follow the Lord in believers' baptism and you thought, man, this is the best. I am so glad. I've identified with Jesus. Get back to those fuzzy-wuzzy feelings that you had early on. That's his admonition to the church at Ephesus. Let's look at the admonition of the church at Smyrna. Can we please? We're looking. to look real quickly at verse number 8. And unto the angel, and that's the pastor of the church at Smyrna, write. He said, John, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write to the pastor of the church at Smyrna and write this. These things saith the first and the last who was dead and is alive. Each time he addresses the church, he's going to give a a unique description of Jesus. And who is Jesus according to this verse? Yeah, he's a resurrected one. He was dead, but now he's alive. Is he a dead God? (laughs) No, we serve a living Savior. He's in the world today, and he's the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Here's what he says that Jesus says about the church at Smyrna. I know thy works, and tribulation or problems you're going through. And I know your poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews or children of God and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that that, uh, may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation, how many days? Ten days. But thou, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And he that hath an ear, let him hear. He said, listen to what I'm telling you. What the Spirit says to the churches. By the way, doesn't say the church. Every once in a while, the people are caught up with the universal church, and they don't believe in individual local churches. But I think if you read the Bible, you'll see he doesn't address the church as a whole as much as he just He's addressing churches, individual, local churches. Verse number, verse number eleven, he that overcometh shall not be hurt with the second death. And that's anyone who is a victor. He said, You'll not be hurt with the second death. That means you'll never you'll never die the second time. And then he'll go on to talk to the church at Pergamus. Well, quickly, just a couple thoughts here. Of course, the church of Smyrna, one of the churches of Asia Minor, did not have a negative report, or that God, the Lord Jesus did not come at it with a reproof. Really, just gave all commendations, and He says, "I know your, I know your works. I know where you are. I know your tribulations. I know what you're going through, and I know your suffering." And this was a lowly church. I think uh, if you were looking, you know, you, you find Ephesus was a loveless church. They had left their first love. This is a lowly church, and I think it's represented today by churches that are under heavy persecution and impoverished. Where in the world might there be a church like this today? Danny, what comes to you, your mind? Haiti. We just met Brother, brother uh, uh, Destin. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I had a choice to live in America or Haiti, I think I'm staying in America. Yeah. But he's there. That's where his people are. 21 pastors he's working with, 12 in Dominican, across the border. And uh, this guy is busy going after it. But is it an easy place to serve the Lord? No, there's persecution. There's tr- there's trials. Every day is a fight. Nothing like what well, we... We might have some battles here from time to time, but ours is, is cakewalk compared to what some of these folks are going through. Where else in the world might be a little difficult place to serve Lord Marcella? Huh? Laos? In Laos, yeah, where uh, Brother... Um, Kampai, yeah. Uh, Brother Kampai is a communist country. Can't, you we can give out, give out tracts all day long. I gave out 12 of them yesterday. But the truth of the matter is, uh, you can't just go out and give out tracts. When I go to Egypt, Pastor, Pastor Botros, he told me early on, he said, I know you give out tracts. I like it. But every time you give out a track, it doesn't hurt you. It hurts me. <laughs> he said, people report that to the police. You're going to go back home to United States. They're going to come knocking on my door and the Muslims are going to come after me, and the police are going to come after me. So it would be better if you don't, when you're with me, please don't give out tracks. you want to do it at the airport? Knock yourself out as long as you're not associated with me. He said, but if you're with me, it's better if you couldn't. And, you know, we're used to giving out tracks, and I think we should. But there are some places you can't go to Laos. You can't go to many places and give out a gospel track because there's persecution. And there's also poverty. Liberia doesn't have necessarily same maybe the persecution from without, but certainly has the poverty within their country. If you you dig a, you dig a, a tree all day long, as he was talking about, for 16 cents, you understand the, the impoverished uh, challenges that they face. And he said, this church is a lowly church. And he says, you know what, number one, God knows what you're going through. And some of you may serve the Lord in years to come in a lowly place, a place that has been going through difficult time or trials or difficult. We might even serve it here. In America, no doubt, one day that's coming down to the future. Maybe in our lifetime, maybe in our in our posterity. But he said, "If you're going through a difficult time, he tells this church. Number one, I know what you're going through. Have you ever been, been through a difficult time and you just wonder if anybody understands? Remember that wonderful song: No one understands like Jesus. He's a friend beyond compare. The first thing he says to this lowly church: I know what you're going through. I don't even know. I not only know your works, I know your tribulation." Look at verse number eight. He says, I know your poverty. And he says, but thou art what? Rich. He said, I I know what you're going through, but he says, and it's it's not a good time, but really, in my opinion, you are rich people. How could that be? How could we be in tribulation and poverty and yet be rich? It looks like to me that the church of Laodicea, they thought they had it all going on. They were rich, had they were clothed, they could see. But truth of the matter, they were blind, naked, and hungry. And they were impoverished. And sometimes there are churches like that. But this church, because I know what you're going through. Number two, I want you to know that uh, refuse to let fear conquer you. He even knew the enemies. And, of course, he said you you are. there are some people who say they're believers and they're, they're God's people, but they're of the synagogue of Satan. And, uh, you know, in this room today in our church, there are people who are not truly converted. You know who you are, and God knows who you are. And that grieves me. I, I'm telling you, I think it'd be better to go to hell from uh, from from some from some uh, bar somewhere than to go to hell from First Baptist Church of Hammond when you've been surrounded by, by truth. And no doubt there are some people maybe in here, and it's not your job to pick and choose who's saved and who's not. You don't know, and I think you're very... You, you're, you're challenged. Occasionally, you get someone who just—they all—they oh, know. Oh, that person already saved. You You don't know that. I think you better be very careful before you make that judgment. You don't always know exactly what's going on. But he said, "There are some who say they're my people, but they are the synagogue of Satan." He said, "They're—they are just—they're pawns in Satan's hand to move and to try to checkmate you in the game of in, in the in the work of the Lord." He said, they're they're not me. They're not from me. They say they are, but they're not my people. They're from the synagogue of Satan, and they're listening to their their other father, and they're listening to their father, the devil. So I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, God knows what we're going through. Number two, in lowly church, this lowly church found out, verse number 10, fear none of these things. Refuse to let fear conquer you. Verse number 10, and we talked about that Sunday morning a little bit about fear being a real challenge, and it paralyzes us. He said, God, not give you spirit. He said, no, I don't want you to be afraid of the things which thou shalt suffer. He said, if what you're going through, what you will go through, I don't want you to be fearful about that. And, of course, Jesus told this very same thing in Luke chapter 12 to his disciples. He said, when they haul you before magistrates in courtrooms, he said, don't worry what you're going to say. I'll give you the words to say at that moment. Don't worry what you're going to do. I'll take it. Don't fear people that can take your life one time. Because there's nothing else they can do after that. Fear him that can take your life twice and uh, give you eternal damnation in hell. That too we need to fear. And by the way, once again, a fear for God reduces a fear of everything else. A lack of fear for God elevates a fear for other things. And some of us, we're just naturally fearful. Maybe something happened in your childhood. Maybe it's a generational emotion um, in, in that you struggle with. But let me tell you the, the way to overcome fear is faith. You need to elevate your faith in God and, and evaluate God based upon what he says about him, not what you feel about him. And, uh, and uh, faith in God's word calms your, fear, your feelings of fear and difficulty. He said, I want you to refuse to be conquered by fear. Don't be fearful of the things that are going to happen to you. There are sweet people in this room. God's taken care of you all these years, some of you 50, 60, 70 years, and you're scared to death what's going to happen in your next next decade. You're scared if you're going to have enough or what's going to happen or what's going to happen to this. And really, I don't think that fear comes from the Lord. I think we need to go to that, take that difficulty and take it to the Lord and trust him. He said, fear none of these things which you will go through. Refuse, let fear conquer you. The next thing I want you to notice is remember and recognize satanic influences. And it says here, fear none of those things, verse 10, with thou shalt suffer, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation. So we understand that Satan is alive in a well in our day and time. And it looks like to me, according to what John is being told by Jesus to the church at Smyrna, Satan's on the other side of the, of, the, of the fence, and he's going to take some of you to prison. He's going to take some of you into difficult times. And by the way, do you think there's any brothers and sisters in Christ going through this today? Yeah? There are people we, we listen to in, in, that, in that country, that communist country that Marcella mentioned just a few minutes ago. Is that one of our one of our preacher boys was put into a little cage, and just uh, just just about starved to death for, all for all for witnessing, and kept in there and and uh, treated like a little bird or a little a little dog or something for 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 days and days on it, couldn't even stand up inside of it, and just to try to break them, and right now as we speak, no doubt there are brothers and sisters all over the world that are being hurt and harmed, he said. Satan is doing that. He's bringing those in there. And we have to understand that Satan is alive and well, and he's on the other side of the gospel trying to persecute. Rarely, though, does persecution close the, the gospel door. As a matter of fact, it usually is the, is the fertilizer that causes more activity to take place. He said, I want you to be fearful of, of what might come. But understand that Satan is alive and well. Look at the next thing the Bible tells us. He says, he says for, de- the sa- for the devil shall cast some of you in prison, and ye shall be tried. And then look at the next thing, and ye shall have tribulation how long? Ten days. You know, it's interesting, and I'm not sure exactly. I don't know the reason why he says ten days. Anybody have a reason why you think he says ten days? Comes to your mind? Huh? an even number. That's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. No, I've heard you say some other dumb things too. I'm just I'm just teasing with you, brother David. You know the truth of the matter is, it takes about 10 days. You get a you get you get an infection. Be it a urinary tract infection or you get a flu. If you don't treat that thing, you don't give an antibiotic, you don't get something quickly. You know about how many days it takes you to get back feeling about normal again? I think about 10 days. And I think, if anything, he's probably saying, whatever trial you have is a temporary trial. And for every child of God, every trial is temporary. Trials come in seasons, and they come for reasons. Some of you are sitting here, and you're in a trial right now. But your trial has not been a breakneck trial your whole life. Most of your days have been good, but you might be in a season. You might be in that 10-day trial. And, of course, we're talking about a church here that's suffering because of the gospel message and because of satanic attack and because of people who say they're they're children of God and they're not, who are giving uh, problems, and Satan is alive and well. He said, but you're going to suffer tribulation, but only for about 10 days. Just a reminder, you know, whenever you're going through a difficult time, Uh, It's a wonderful thing to remember that you're just passing through. Take your Bibles real quick before we conclude tonight, and would you hold your place there and turn to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Psalm 84, please hold your place there. And we'll look at Psalm 84. I want you to see something that blesses my heart every time I read it. Psalm 84. It's talking about people, why we should go to church. It brings satisfaction to our souls, stability to our family. It brings strength in difficult seasons of trials. And I want you to look at this right here. Verse number six. Who passing through the valley of Baca. For those of you who are Spanish speaking, that does not mean a cow. Orlando, did you get that, buddy? Okay, that's not a cow. That, that's, that means tears, difficulty. Who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well, and the rain filleth the pools. And they go from strength to strength, every one of them. That appear for the Lord. The valley of tears or sorrow. And I want you to notice here, he says, when you're passing through the valley of sorrows, make it a well. And where the rain filled. You know what? You know what you need in the Word of when you go through difficult times? Stay in church. Hear the Word of God. Listen to it more. Read it more. Run to it. Don't run away from it. I wonder how many people at one time they, they were faithful to the Lord. They went through a trial and they went away from church. Stop going on Wednesday night, stop going Sunday night, stop going Sunday morning, now they're out. And it's even more complicating their, heart, their life. He said, when you go through the valley of, of tears, make it a well, dig deep wells, and let the hollowness that the pools of your soul that are hurting because of the void of whatever you're going through, fill your, your soul with the word of God, with the water of the word of God. It's a beautiful thing. But notice the first words of verse number six. Would you read them with me? Who passing through? Who passing through? Every valley, you're just passing through. You're not going to live in the valley. You're going to pass through. And I think Jesus is telling the church at Smyrna, when you go through that, he said, uh, it's just for 10 days. It'll be a short trial compared to eternal glory that waits for us, Second Corinthians chapter number 4. Look at the rest of it real quickly. Here's the next thought that comes. in. Increase your faith to be Faithful. He says, but be thou faithful unto death. Decide, you know what? While I'm going through my hard time, I'm going to even be more faithful to the Lord. Be faithful even unto death. If it means that this this is how you're going to go down, it's okay. Be faithful unto death. And look at the last part of that verse, and I will give thee the crown of life. Several things we can learn for seasons of trials and financial hardship and poverty as a church. Number one, Know that God knows. Number two, don't let fear conquer you. Number three, recognize satanic influences that are alive and well. Remember that it's temporary. Everything is temporary. Increase your faith to be faithful and then know there is a reward from Jesus. No one who suffers righteously is going to do so unrewarded. The crown of life is a reward for those who go through seasons of difficulty. And we can trust the Lord for that. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Thank you for listening tonight.